Welcome to the podcast. This week we start the show with a special excerpt from Shoghi Effendi's book, God Passes By. With only a few weeks left in the master's travels through the United States, it might be worth reviewing his footsteps with a different perspective. Abdu'l-Bahá holds a unique and powerful station as the center of the covenant of the Baha'i faith, but consider for a moment his human reality and emotions. Who knows what thoughts flooded the heart of Abdu'l-Bahá as he found himself the central figure of such memorable scenes as these? Who knows what thoughts were uppermost in his mind as he sat at breakfast beside the Lord Mayor of London? or was received with extraordinary deference by the Khedive himself in his palace, or as he listened to the cries of Allahu Akbar and to the hymns of thanksgiving and praise that would herald his approach to the numerous and brilliant assemblages of his enthusiastic followers and friends organized in so many cities of the American continent. Who knows what memories stirred within him as he stood before the thundering waters of Niagara, breathing the free air of a far distant land, or gazed in the course of a brief and much needed rest upon the greenwoods and countryside in Glenwood Springs, or moved with a retinue of Oriental believers along the paths of the Trocadero Gardens in Paris, or walked alone in the evening beside the majestic Hudson on Riverside Drive in New York, or as he paced the terrace of the Hotel du Parc at Thonon-les-Bains, overlooking the Lake of Geneva, or as he watched from Serpentine Bridge in London, the pearly chain of lights beneath the trees stretching as far as the eye could see. Memories of the sorrows, the poverty, the overhanging doom of his earlier years. Memories of his mother, who sold her gold buttons to provide him, his brother, and his sister with sustenance, and who was forced, in her darkest hours, to place a handful of dry flour in the palm of his hand to appease his hunger. Of his own childhood, when pursued and derided by a mob of ruffians in the streets of Tehran, of the damp and gloomy room, formerly a morgue, which he occupied in the barracks of Akka, and of his imprisonment in the dungeon of that city. Memories such as these must surely have thronged his mind. Thoughts, too, must have visited him of the Bab's captivity in the mountain fastness of Azerbaijan, when at night time he was refused even a lamp, and of his cruel and tragic execution when hundreds of bullets riddled his youthful breast. Above all, his thoughts must have centered on Baha'u'llah, whom he loved so passionately, and whose trials he had witnessed and had shared from his boyhood. The vermin-infested Siachal of Tehran, the bastinado inflicted upon him in Amul, the humble fare which filled his Kashgul while he lived for two years the life of a dervish in the mountains of Kurdistan, the days in Baghdad 
when he did not even possess a change of linen, and when his followers subsisted on a handful of dates. His confinement behind the prison walls of Acre, when for nine years even the sight of verdure was denied him, and the public humiliation to which he was subjected at government headquarters in that city. Pictures from the tragic past such as these must have many a time overpowered him with feelings of mingled gratitude and sorrow as he witnessed the many marks of respect, of esteem and honour now shown him and the faith which he represented. O Baha'u'llah, what hast thou done? He, as reported by the chronicler of his travels, was heard to exclaim one evening, as he was being swiftly driven to fulfil his third engagement of the day in Washington. O Baha'u'llah, may my life be sacrificed for thee. O Baha'u'llah, may my soul be offered up for thy sake. How full were thy days with trials and tribulations! How severe the ordeals thou didst endure! How solid the foundation thou hast finally laid! And how glorious the banner thou didst hoist! You're listening to the Journey West podcast, dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Bahá in the West. Let us now move on to this week's talk, read by Pascal. 29 November 1912. Talk at home of Mr. and Mrs. Edward B. Kinney. This evening, I wish to speak to you concerning the mystery of sacrifice. There are two kinds of sacrifice the physical and the spiritual. The explanation made by the churches concerning this subject is, in reality, superstition. For instance, it is recorded in the Gospel that Christ said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. He also said, This wine is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. These verses have been interpreted by the churches in such a superstitious way that it is impossible for human reason to understand or accept the explanation. They say that Adam disobeyed the command of God and partook of the fruit of the forbidden tree, thereby committing a sin which was transmitted as a heritage to his posterity. They teach that because of Adam's sin, all his descendants have, likewise, committed transgression and have become responsible through inheritance. That, consequently, all mankind deserves punishment and must make retribution. And that God sent forth his Son as a sacrifice in order that man might be forgiven and the human race delivered from the consequences of Adam's transgression. We wish to consider these statements from the standpoint of reason. Could we conceive of the divinity, who is justice itself, inflicting punishment upon the posterity of Adam for Adam's own sin and disobedience? Even if we should see a governor, an earthly ruler, punishing a son for the wrongdoing of his father, 
we would look upon that ruler as an unjust man. Granted, the father committed a wrong. What was the wrong committed by the son? There is no connection between the two. Adam's sin was not the sin of his posterity. Especially as Adam is a thousand generations back of the man today. If the father of a thousand generations committed a sin, is it just to demand that the present generation should suffer the consequences thereof? There are other questions and evidences to be considered. Abraham was a manifestation of God and a descendant of Adam. Likewise, Ishmael, Isaac, Jeremiah, and the whole line of prophets, including David, Solomon, and Aaron, were among his posterity. Were all these holy men condemned to a realm of punishment because of a deed committed by the first father, because of a mistake said to have been made by their mutual and remotest ancestor Adam? The explanation is made that when Christ came and sacrificed himself, all the line of holy prophets who preceded him became free from sin and punishment. Even a child, even a child could not justly make such an assertion. These interpretations and statements are due to a misunderstanding of the meanings of the Bible. In order to understand the reality of sacrifice, let us consider the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. It is true that he sacrificed himself for our sake. What is the meaning of this? When Christ appeared, he knew that he must proclaim himself in opposition to all the nations and peoples of the earth. He knew that mankind would arise against him and inflict upon him all manner of tribulations. There is no doubt that one who put forth such a claim as Christ announced would arouse the hostility of the world and be subjected to personal abuse. He realized that his blood would be shed and his body rent by violence. Notwithstanding his knowledge of what would befall him, he arose to proclaim his message, suffered all tribulation and hardships from the people and finally offered his life as a sacrifice in order to illumine humanity, gave his blood in order to guide the world of mankind. He accepted every calamity and suffering in order to guide man to the truth. Had he desired to save his own life, and were he without wish to offer himself in sacrifice, he would not have been able to guide a single soul. There was no doubt that his blessed blood would be shed and his body broken. Nevertheless, that holy soul accepted calamity and death in his love for mankind. This is one of the meanings of sacrifice. As to the second meaning, he said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. It was not the body of Christ which came from heaven. His body came from the womb of Mary, but the Christly perfections descended from heaven. The reality of Christ came down from heaven. The spirit of Christ and not the body descended from heaven. The body of Christ was but human. There could be no question that the physical body was born from the womb of Mary. But the reality of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the perfections of Christ all came from heaven. Consequently, by saying he was the bread which came from heaven, he meant that the perfections which he showed forth were divine perfections, that the blessings within him were heavenly gifts and bestowals, that his light was the light of reality. He said, If any man eat of this bread, 
he shall live forever. That is to say, whosoever assimilates these divine perfections which are within me will never die. Whosoever has a share and partakes of these heavenly bounties I embody will find eternal life. He who takes unto himself these divine lights shall find everlasting life. How manifest the meaning is, how evident for the soul which acquires divine perfections and seeks heavenly illumination from the teachings of Christ will undoubtedly live eternally. This is also one of the mysteries of sacrifice. In reality, Abraham sacrificed himself, for he brought heavenly teachings to the world and conferred heavenly food upon mankind. As to the third meaning of sacrifice, it is this. If you plant a seed in the ground, a tree will become manifest from that seed. The seed sacrifices itself to the tree that will come from it. The seed is outwardly lost, destroyed, but the same seed which is sacrificed will be absorbed and embodied in a tree, its blossoms, fruits and branches. If the identity of that seed had not been sacrificed to the tree which became manifest from it, no branches, blossoms or fruits would have been forthcoming. Christ outwardly disappeared. His personal identity became hidden from the eyes even as the identity of the seed disappeared. But the bounties, divine qualities and perfections of Christ became manifest in the Christian community, which Christ founded through sacrificing himself. When you look at the tree, you will realize that the perfections, blessings, properties and beauty of the seed have become manifest in the branches, twigs, blossoms and fruit. Consequently, the seed has sacrificed itself to the tree. Had it not done so, the tree would not have come into existence. Christ, like unto the seed, sacrificed himself for the tree of Christianity. Therefore, his perfections, bounties, favors, lights and graces became manifest in the Christian community for the coming of which he sacrificed himself. As to the fourth significance of sacrifice, it is the principle that the reality sacrifices its own characteristics. Man must sever himself from the influences of the world of matter, from the world of nature and its laws, for the material world is the world of corruption and death. It is the world of evil and darkness, of animalism and ferocity, bloodthirstiness, ambition and avarice, of self-worship, egotism and passion. It is the world of nature. Man must strip himself of all these imperfections, must sacrifice these tendencies, which are peculiar to the outer and material world of existence. On the other hand, man must acquire heavenly qualities and attain divine attributes. He must become the image and likeness of God. He must seek the bounty of the eternal, become the manifestor of the love of God, the light of guidance, the tree of life, and the depository of the bounties of God. That is to say, man must sacrifice the qualities and attributes of the world of nature for the qualities and attributes of the world of God. For instance, consider the substance we call iron. Observe its qualities. It is solid, black, cold. These are the characteristics of iron. 
when the same iron absorbs heat from the fire, it sacrifices its attribute of darkness for the attribute of light, which is the quality of the fire. It sacrifices its attribute of coldness to the quality of heat which the fire possesses, so that in the iron there remains no solidity, darkness or cold. It becomes illumined and transformed, having sacrificed its qualities to the qualities and attributes of the fire. Likewise, man, when separated and severed from the attributes of the world of nature, sacrifices the qualities and exigencies of that mortal realm and manifests the perfections of the kingdom, just as the qualities of the iron disappeared and the qualities of the fire appeared in their place. Every man trained through the teachings of God and illumined by the light of his guidance, who becomes a believer in God and his science and is enkindled with the fire of the love of God, sacrifices the imperfections of nature for the sake of divine perfections. Consequently, every perfect person, every illumined, heavenly individual stands in the station of sacrifice. It is my hope that through the assistance and providence of God and through the bounties of the kingdom of Abha, you may be entirely severed from the imperfections of the world of nature, purified from selfish human desires, receiving life from the kingdom of Abha and attaining heavenly graces. May the divine light become manifest upon your faces, the fragrances of holiness refresh your nostrils and the breath of the Holy Spirit quicken you with eternal life. Now to our roundtable discussion. Hi, I'm Zane. I'm a social worker from Australia. I'm Melanie. I study cultural anthropology. I'm Shira. I'm a teacher. I really liked this idea of um, accepting hardship and love as a form of sacrifice because I, it made me think of the Baha'is in Iran and how a lot of people don't... It's hard for people to understand why they just stay there, you know, why they don't leave when there's all this persecution against them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet it's a form of sacrifice because it's their way of saying, you know, it's out of, it's completely out of love. I didn't even realize there were four, four forms of sacrifice, actually. Sacrificing the self for a greater purpose is sacrificing that which is lower for that which is higher. Yeah. Right? The idea of, like, a seed breaking apart and being brought into the flower or plant that it creates. Mm-hmm. I think that relates to the one that struck me was about the manifestation of God, that it's not that it's his choice, but at the same time, it's just what is going to happen because the world that the manifestation of God is entering is kind of, in my opinion, just seems to chop down anything that is good and stands out and is from God. And so it's their choice to continue to proclaim their message even though they know everyone is going to turn against them and that's just kind of the natural law of when someone's giving something new that's going to happen and i guess it's the same thing like you said with the seed that that is what is going that's its destiny that's what's going to happen if this seed is going to become a tree it has to sacrifice other qualities I found the way that um, Abdu'l-Bahá described this, or approached this idea of original sin as quite fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. This idea that, like, I don't know, I'd never thought of it that way, but the idea that 
if everybody in the world was paying back somehow for the um, implied crime that Adam committed, that that would basically mean that God was an unjust God rather than that he was a just God because you'd never blame a child for the faults of their parents. Mm. And I, I found that quite, I don't know, I found that quite fascinating. <clears throat> but how does that relate to sacrifice? It sort of dissembles the idea of what um, a lot of the world thinks of as sacrifice. Because the first half of the talk was very much about like um, the way that sacrifice seems to be viewed, uh, especially in the Christian world. Yeah, also he was talking about when the, the literal... Um, the way people have interpreted literally, so drinking the wine or eating the bread, mm. that that's not actually, like, we don't learn to sacrifice by by doing something symbolic. That might help to affirm maybe your, you know, your belief or that you do agree with the concept of sacrifice, but that the true sacrifice is then having to live a life where you... <clears throat> live up to what you believe and actually requires action. Um, embodying, that, embodying the heavenly, embodying the Yeah, the spiritual virtues. qualities, not yeah. that you just ate something or drank something, but mm. that you understand what is the mm. significance of what, um, what Christ did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really loved the metaphor about um, iron and the fire mm. and how it was talking about how... Um, how we sort of uh, in turn must sacrifice the qualities and attributes of the world of nature for the qualities and attributes of the world of God, just like an, like iron when it's stuck into a fire sacrifices its color, its um, temperature, and its form. Solidity. Yeah. But I'm also sure that, <laughs> that it wouldn't be a very um, gentle experience. <clears throat> so to realize that this sacrifice is not an easy thing to do, that it's something that is probably most likely painful and mm. difficult. Mm. But like you said, takes effort. Like we have to put ourselves into the fire, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I'm just thinking of times in my life where I knew, <clears throat> I knew that I had to do something because it was what my higher self, like what I needed, what my higher self had to choose to do. But it, so that made me happy and it was like this extreme happiness um, and thankfulness. But at the same time, it wasn't easy. It's emotional. It's sometimes sad. Like you are saying goodbye to one part of yourself, maybe, or maybe some identity or people in your life because you're making a new decision. But just because you have that pain or that sadness doesn't mean that you're making the wrong decision. Because a lot of times, well, at least in my experience, I've had complete assurance at that point that that's eventually that is the what I want to do. Um, but we can't always make the decision based on what seems easiest at the time or what makes us happy and in a superficial way. Okay, what about the third meaning of sacrifice, where we had the the seed and the tree metaphor? The seed sacrifices itself to the tree. I think this one 
just because the word identity is used really applies to a lot of I in my has applied to me in my experience a lot of times I when I know I have to make a certain sacrifice I resist because I feel that it actually is going to change my identity or that it's not a part of my identity to be a certain thing and it's like where it talked about the iron and the fire where iron has this cold it's not moving it's rigid it doesn't want to change its identity but that by letting the fire come through it then it becomes soft and liquid and it has heat and I feel like that is sometimes a huge barrier to recognize or to taking the action to making a certain sacrifice is that I've been in situations where I know, okay, for the sake of unity with this group of people, I need to to accept certain things or I need to change the way I'm acting. But a lot of the time, if I think that the way I'm acting is correct, I don't want to sacrifice it. So I'm staying... It's like, no, because this is my identity. This is who I am. This is how I am. So we should all learn to work it out and have unity together, but each with our own separate identities. But sometimes it can't be that way. And that's actually not our true identity anyways. But I feel like also coming from the, from the United States that we have a strong attachment to our identity and that to sacrifice anything for the group we feel is like an infringement on our right to be exactly who we want to be when that might not actually might not be our true selves and it might prevent us from actually uh, manifesting more of our true self and our manifesting certain virtues we stay attached to well this is who i am and this is how i do things so i don't want to change yeah i think the the third and fourth forms are sort of uh, connected, I guess. I think the third form of sacrifice with the tree, meta- the seed and the tree metaphor talks about uh, transformation. And the fourth one is more like lower nature for higher nature, I guess. Something which is objectively worse for something which is objectively better. And I think your example is maybe uh, connects both of those because you're you're transforming but you're also sacrificing yeah i'm thinking that there's two kinds well there's four kinds of sacrifices but (laughs) i mean there's sacrifices when i think of my own life there's sacrifices that i just had to make it was forced upon me Mm. and then there were other ones that it was my own it was my choice but at the same time you know the what i what the choice i had to make was clear even if it wasn't easy but in thinking of a child and i was thinking about the life cycle at some point we have to sacrifice being children in order to be parents or maybe our parents pass away and that's when we're we realize that we might have to play that role for someone else we might not have that person taking care of us and that's it's kind of one that is just it's bound to happen to us at some point and we if the more we can just accept it and accept that that's going to be a natural thing that happens in the life cycle it's going to be easier to handle but see the thing is i mean the point i was trying to make was like the third one seems to be it can be a choice and it can be forced upon you i guess just because it's life right but the fourth form of sacrifice talks about I'm sac- I, I'm consciously saying I don't want this. I'm going to give up this in order to gain something mm-hmm. higher. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and he says that is to say man must sacrifice the qualities and attributes of the world of nature for the qualities and attributes of the world of God. He doesn't say man will be forced to or man, you know, it's natural that this is going to happen. In this sense, he's saying it's man must do this. It's up to him. So could this maybe be like the most or maybe the most important form of sacrifice? I don't know. I think they're all different because we can't even do that if it wasn't for the sacrifice he talks about in the first one, which is sacrifice of the manifestation of God. All right. right? But I mean, as like, isn't this the decision we make when we become Baha'is? I sacrifice my existence now or the purpose of my life now for what I know is the actual purpose of life itself. Actually, just as an afterthought, I just noticed that Abdu'l-Baha doesn't talk about forms of sacrifice, but meanings and significance. So maybe that means there's only one form of sacrifice. Or two forms of... Oh, okay. There there are two forms of sacrifice. (laughs) Where? It says? It's the first line. It says, well, two kinds of sacrifice. But with But physical and spiritual. Yeah. Versus... But maybe with the concept of sacrifice itself, it's more a matter of our, our ability to understand it on different at different levels or at different depths, I guess. Different levels of meaning, so. Well, with the idea of sacrifice itself, it, it might be, we might be better off thinking less in terms of different forms of, of sacrifice and more in terms of our, our ability to uh, comprehend sacrifice on, at different levels or varying mm-hmm. levels. And it makes sense he's talking about this, these different significances because I just was looking at, at the beginning. He says, I wish to speak to you concerning the mystery of sacrifice. So at some level, it's just mysterious. But then it has these different significances, and I'm sure there's more than even... Four. Know. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. But I think it's helpful. We can... It might be even a helpful... Thing, you know, understanding it better to take the time to look back and think about different... I mean, I can think of some major sacrifices in my mind that I've made in my life and maybe look back at those and ask ourselves, okay, which... In terms of significance, does it relate to any of these and in what way and what also might be some decisions we're making or situations we're in in our life right now that by reading these words, it really just becomes clear what the... what the path of action would be and accepting that it's going to be a sacrifice but knowing that if Abdu'l-Bahá was talking about it in this way that it it is have the faith that it would lead to something even better that's it for the podcast this week special thanks to May Teherzadeh and Pascal Schmidt for reading as well as Zane Dolly Melanie King and Shira Trick for participating in the roundtable discussion. If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Bahá's travels in the West, visit our site, www.thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone. Bye.